Once again, good morning, and I am thrilled and excited to be with you as we continue this series, Power in Your Hands. And before we would begin, I would like to pray together with you. Father, we thank you for the great privilege that we have to come together in your presence. We thank you that you have already gone before us to prepare the way. We thank you that you are already here. We ask that you would continue by your spirit to move in this place, that you would move in our hearts and our minds. And Father, we pray that our hearts would be soft, moldable, and pliable in your hands as we open up the word of God. Speak to us, Lord. We are listening. It is in your most powerful name that we pray. Amen. Isis. Just the sound of the word provokes a rainbow of emotions in many of us. Fear, anger, hurt, pain. It's hard to turn on the news today without seeing the abuse of power that ISIS has had in our world, and especially among Christians. Horrific, in fact. And I think that we could all agree that ISIS cuts to the heart of the topic of power that we have been looking at over the last few weeks. And the question this morning is, how can we as Christians respond to the faces of evil such as ISIS? What are we to think? What are we to do? How? are we to respond? For those of you who have been walking with us over the last few weeks in this series of power, we've discovered that power is in fact a gift from God. Maybe at the beginning of this series, many of us had this negative idea of power because all too often when we turn on the news, we see power displayed in abusive, in oppressive ways. But we've discovered that, in fact, power doesn't have to always be abusive or oppressive or something negative. But in fact, power is a gift from God given to us as image bearers to use for his glory and for flourishing. That it is God's intention for us to use this gift of power when it is in its proper place, which is under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And so we've talked a lot about power over the last few weeks. We've talked about the, both the dark side of power, the oppressive impact that it has had in this, in this world, and we've also talked about the bright side of power, how it can be used towards flourishing. We've discovered that power can be used selfishly, or power can be used in a way that is life-giving. We discovered that power can go awry when it's used for our own idols or our own idolatry or injustice. And in fact, last week, Tracy talked us through when power can go awry when it's used for privilege. And we know that power is a gift when it is in its rightful place, but all too often the use of power can go dark. 
The use of power can turn into abuse when it's used for personal idolatry or worse, injustice. And in fact, this morning we get a window or a glimpse into both the abuse and the bright side of power in our text today, which comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 25, verses 47 through 56. And in our text, we see the chief priests and elders using this gift of power to feed their purposes, to feed their plans, to feed their own idolatry. And we get a snapshot of the use of corrupted power, but we also get a snapshot on how Jesus uses power that leads to restoration, healing, grace, flourishing, and love. Once again, our text this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 26, verses 47 through 56. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. With him were a large crowd armed with swords and clubs, sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them, the one I kiss is the man, arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Jesus replied, do what you came for, friend. The man stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. With that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword, drew it out, and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him. For all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my father, and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen this way? In that hour, Jesus said to the crowd, am I leading a rebellion that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I sit in the temple courts teaching and you did not arrest me. But this has all taken place that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples deserted him and fled. Here ends the reading. It isn't difficult for us to imagine this horrific scene. In fact, we know how the story ends. We know where the story goes after the disciples fled and left Jesus, their Lord. You see, Jesus had just left the Garden of Gethsemane from praying, praying a very difficult prayer we know. In fact, he says, Lord, if you can't allow this cup to pass from me, And after leading the garden, one of his so-called followers, who followed him throughout his ministry, heard his teachings, who loved him and who adored him in an instant, betrayed him. In fact, he approaches Jesus with a mob carrying swords and weapons and clubs, and he says, the one I kiss is the one you should arrest. And he approaches Jesus and he kisses him and Jesus turns to him and says, do what you came for, friend. Do what you came for, friend. And when we read further on into the text, we see the injustice and the violence that Jesus, our King, endured 
at the hands of power. Horrific, unjust, corruption. And eerily similar in the news over the last couple of weeks, we've caught a glimpse into the potency that power has in the recent martyr that happened last month of the Coptic Christians at the hands of ISIS. This image is almost too much to bear as we know what these Christians endured moments later, what they were forced to endure. And every time I see this image, my heart sinks to my stomach, knowing that these men have a family at home. They have names. They have spouses. Children. And we see this, and it breaks our heart, and it stirs us to long for restoration. It stirs our hearts to call out, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus, come. And sadly, this is not the first crushing blow to Christians that ISIS has had. In fact, it seems we can hardly turn on the news or look at the news without hearing of stories of crucifying children, beheading Christians and raping of women, and our hearts are angered, they're horrified, and we could probably think of a million ways of how we can respond. But the question for us this morning is how are Christians, how are the people of God, Christians, who live under the reign and rule of Jesus Christ, how are we to respond not only to ISIS, but in the face of evil? when power goes awry to use for its own personal idolatry and injustice and gain, how are we as Christians to respond? Now this morning, I would just like to make a note that I'm not begging the question of how should we as America or government respond or how should President Obama respond, but in fact, how should we as Christians respond to the faces of evil? If you take another look at this picture above on the screens, you will notice, and maybe some of you can see who are close up to the screen, but you will notice that the little inscription on the bottom says, people of the cross. People of the cross. This is precisely the name that was given to them by Isis to the, these Coptic Christians, people of the cross, the cross, a symbol of sacrifice, surrender, love, and good in the face of evil, people of the cross. 
And in fact, this morning, when we take another look at our text, we see exactly how Jesus responded to the face of evil, corruption, and the abuse of power. Jesus, when one of his disciples walked up with a sword to slice the ear off of one of the soldiers, Jesus so subversively says, put your sword back in its place. For all who draw the sword will die by the sword. And in that moment, the disciples of Jesus, who had walked with him over the last three years, who had been hanging on to every one of his words and his teachings, they saw Jesus embody the narrative that he had been teaching all along, and they saw him follow it through to the very bitter end. And I wonder when Jesus responded in that moment if the disciples were even having flashbacks to the Sermon on the Mount. When Jesus speaks and teaches in such a countercultural way, when he says, you have heard it said, an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth, and then he goes on talking about loving a neighbor, and then he talks about loving your enemy. Radical, in fact. Radical. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, when Jesus says, Love your enemies. And take a look at Luke chapter 22, verses 51. In Luke's account of this story, after Peter walks up with one of the swords and tries to cut the ear off of one of the soldiers, Jesus says, He says, No more of this. And look at how Jesus uses this gift of power in response in the face of evil. He says, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. Again, in that moment, Jesus embodied the narrative that he had been teaching so subversively, so passionately, and was using the gift of power to love to forgive, to heal, and to restore. Jesus shows us this gift of power and what it looks like to lead to flourishing, to lead to healing, to lead to love, grace, restoration, reconciliation, and life. And so in our text this morning, we see a great juxtaposition of power. On one end, we see power that betrays. We see power that mocks, destroys, inflicts pains and harms. And on the opposite end, we see power displayed in the one and true image bearer of God. Jesus fully human and Jesus fully divine uses this gift of power creatively to restore, heal, and bring life even in the face of corrupted power. And I can't think of a better text this morning that illuminates this in the life of Jesus than Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11 that says this, who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant in human likeness. 
And being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself in becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, and that at that name every knee should bow and tongue confess and under heaven and earth that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Humbled himself and made himself a servant. Using this incredible gift of power to lead to the flourishing of others, And on the cross, embracing a darkness that none of us will ever be able to fully comprehend in the face of evil and darkness and corruption, what does he do? He takes it upon himself as a gift for you and I. We see that Jesus not only taught this narrative, but he embodied it in the very life, the death, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus Christ. So when we look at this image again, and we look at this picture of the Coptic Christians, which by the way, are one of the oldest people group of Christians in the world today. Christians as they are faced in the hands of evil. Yes, our hearts ache. And we wonder, how did they respond? How did their families respond? And how should we respond in the face of evil? Well, when we place our humanity firmly in the humanity of Jesus Christ, our King, we get a glimpse in how we are to respond in the face of evil, which is to heal, to love, forgive, and use this gift of power to lead towards restoration, just like Jesus so subversively did. And how did the people of the cross Respond. Well, in a recent interview, the mother of two Christians that were beheaded asked what she would do if one of the violent ISIS members were to show up at her door. Shockingly, she said, I would welcome them into my home in the hope that their hearts could be open to the love of God. And then the general bishop of the Coptic church said this, I think as Christians, it is our mandate to forgive. It is what we do. It is what we do, he said. It is what we do. Did you hear that? It's what Jesus taught. It's what Jesus did. And it is what we do, that we as Christians, living under the reign and rule of Jesus Christ, looking to his life as not one that maybe we should 
try to live out, but one that we should with everything that we have, everything that we are, with this empowering gift of the Spirit to live out, to use this gift of power that would lead to flourishing, to love, to healing, and to forgiveness. Because it is our role as Christians, as the people of God, to not live by the way of retaliation, but to use this gift of power to heal, restore, and bring life. So what do we do? What does this look like? What do we do with power in the face of evil? Well, number one, we have said over and over again that power can be used to lead towards flourishing when it is in its proper place under the reign and rule of King Jesus. And so we surrender. That's where we start. That is our starting place. Our starting place is to surrender to the reign of rule of King Jesus and allow his creative power to be used in our lives. In other words, it's saying, this gift of power that has been given to me, I'm not in charge of it, I'm not in control of it, but I submit it to the feet of Jesus. And I allow his creative power through the resurrecting power of the Holy Spirit to be displayed in my life that power that is creative, that power that brings life, that power that brings healing, that power that brings restoration. And I can't think of a better example of that this morning than Mother Teresa, who day after day roamed the streets of Calcutta. Evil and corruption and oppression and injustice was in her face. And she chose day by day to submit to the lordship of Jesus, her king, and decided to allow that creative power of the spirit to be displayed in her life, to bring healing, to bring love, and to bring restoration. In fact, one of my favorite quotes by Mother Teresa is this. I am a little pencil in God's hands, she says. He does the thinking. He does the writing. He does everything. And sometimes it is really hard because it is a broken pencil and he has to sharpen it a little more. A pencil in the hands of God. Wow. Think about it this way. If I were to lovingly write you a letter, which I know doesn't happen these days anymore, but let's just say I chose not to send you a text or an email but I decided to write you a letter, handwritten it, send it to you in the mail, and I were to use a pencil as one of my tools. And let's say I were to write this letter and it was just incredibly poetic and beautiful. And when you run to your mailbox and you see that you have received a letter from me and you open up the envelope and you excitedly pull it out to read this letter, I highly doubt that you would open the letter and say, look at that number two lead. Where did she get this pencil? I must go to Office Max and find this pencil that she used. But instead, you would open the letter and you would be captivated by the poetic and loving nature of this letter. You would want to know who it is that wrote this letter and you might adore the beauty and creativity of the story that is written. And in the same way, we are just that pencils in the hands of God. 
submitting to the writer, submitting to the author, and allowing his creative power to be displayed in our lives, not so people could say, look at you, but look at him. Look at his creativity. Look at the ways that he brings life. Look at the way that he brings restoration. When we surrender to the reign and rule of Jesus Christ, we are but that pencils. He does the writing and we are conduits of God's love and restoration in this world. And God is still today writing a narrative of a people who are a people of the cross who use this incredible gift of power subversively to bring love, forgiveness, and restoration. And sometimes I wonder, friends, if we have stopped believing in God's creative and restorative power in this world today. I wonder if we leave the imagination to our leaders in government's hand, and while their work is important and we pray for them often, I wonder if we just sit back and we think, well, let them deal with it. And instead, what if we as Christians begin to link into the creative imagination of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit? Surrender to his reign and rule and say, Lord, let your creative power be displayed in our lives that bring radical love and forgiveness and grace. Because God is writing a story. that is much bigger than you and I. It's a creative story. It's a story of love and forgiveness and grace. And are you allowing yourself to be a pencil in the hands of God? And number two, what can we do in the face of evil? We pray. Sounds cliche, I know. But one of my favorite scholars, Gordon Fee, says this. One of the greatest forms of atheism today is a prayerless life. Are we praying for our brothers and sisters? Are we praying for those who are being martyred every day for their faith? Are we praying for our president? Are we praying for the government that God would give them wisdom? Are we praying for the victims that the Prince of Peace and the God of Comfort would surround them and get them through this time of deep pain and struggle? Are we praying that God would give them courage and strength? And are we praying for miracles? Third, We forgive. Over and over, Jesus so passionately taught his disciples that as Christ followers, that as people of the cross, as disciples and as Christians, we forgive. We forgive. We forgive. We forgive. And we forgive again. In fact, Peter says to Jesus, he says, Lord, how many times should I really forgive? Up to seven times and then by the eighth time? Jesus says no. Seventy-seven times. And Jesus, he didn't say, well, then by the 78th time, then you're off the hook. No. As people of Jesus, as the people of God, we are marked by love and we are marked by forgiveness. So we forgive. 
Fourth, we join the movement of grace and restorative justice by overcoming evil with good. We use this gift of power, just like we talked about with Mother Teresa, we use this gift of power to bring restoration, to bring life, to bring love, and to lift others up. Again, we see this example so beautifully displayed in Luke's account in chapter 22, verse 51, when he says, no more of this, and he heals the man's ear. He overcomes evil with good, and he uses it to bring life and healing. It is just as the apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 21, when he says, overcome evil with good. We, too, can do this, not by ourselves, but in the resurrecting power of Jesus Christ, the gift of the Holy Spirit that impels us and propels us to join this great movement of grace. And so let me say that this applies to us even here in Oak Brook even here in the western suburbs. If anything, I hope that you don't walk away from the sermon thinking that this is how we respond to evil on a macro level. But we see the abuse of power even on a micro level all around us. And not only that, but you and I have been given this incredible gift of power as image bearers, and when we place it in its rightful place under Jesus the King, and we allow the Holy Spirit to display this creative power in our lives, we have a choice moment by moment. We have a choice to allow this power to be displayed in our homes, in our marriages, in the way we parent, in our workplaces, in our management team, and the people below us and the people above us, even towards that boss that is just on our back, and even towards the lower management that we just don't know how to deal with, we have a choice as Christians to be marked by love, to be marked by forgiveness, to be marked by restoration, and to be marked by healing. Furthermore, there are hundreds of ways here at Christ Church of Oak Brook within the missions department in which you and I can plug in, that we can get involved. I fear that so often we wait for opportunities to fall on our lap instead of leaning into the Spirit and asking for His creative power to be displayed in our lives and saying, Lord, where is it that I can get involved? Finally, allow me to conclude with a compelling story of power used to restore, heal, love, and forgive. In a recent sermon, Brian Zahn tells a story of the Armenian Genocide, a terrible event where 1.5 million Armenians were killed under the Turkish Ottoman Empire. And he tells a story of a Turkish Ottoman officer that forced his way into a home of an Armenian family of four. He and another officer murdered both the mother and father and then took the two youngest daughters and raped them. And one of the Turkish officers decided to take one of the daughters to his home and keep her as his slave. 
Finally, one day, she was able to escape and she attempted to put her life back together and put herself through nursing school and became a nurse. And some years later, as she was a nurse, she was working in a Turkish hospital. And one day, a gravely wounded officer walked in through the doors of, a, of that hospital, and she laid eyes on him. And it was the officer that killed her mother, her father, her sister, and took her in as a slave. And without care, he would have died. With his life hung in the balance, she cared for him tenderly and lovingly and kept him alive. Well, one day, a doctor spoke to the army officer and pointed out that he would not have lived if it weren't for the tender care of this nurse. The army officer turned and looked at the nurse in the eye, and he said, do I know you? She remained silent. And then he looked at her again, and he said, why didn't you allow me to die? And she responded, I am a follower of the one who said, love your enemies. We too are followers of the one who said, love your enemies. It's what we do. It's what we do as people of the cross with the power that has been given to our hands. We use it to love, restore, and bring life. Let us pray. <coughs> Father, time and time again, when we look to the scriptures, we see that followers of you said, Lord, these are tough words to live by. They're tough. Because when the rubber meets the road, our reaction is to respond in the same way that we were treated. But Lord, we thank you that we're not at this alone. But you have been given us this incredible gift of the Holy Spirit that empowers us to live this life that displays power in a way that is God-honoring, in a way that is life-giving, in a way that brings love, restoration, and forgive us, forgiveness. And so, Lord, we pray that today that we would leave this place just a little bit more transformed and shaped into your likeness so that we can use this gift of power for the glory and honor of your kingdom. In your name we pray. Amen.